Welcome back to TCU's Three Wise Men, where you can hear your three favorite geniuses give their not-so-genius opinions about TCU and other interesting things. We took a little bit of a break these past couple weeks for the holidays. Hope all of our listeners had a good holiday. I'm talking to the guys before, I think we did. Um, it's 2024. We're hoping that the wise men can deliver even myrrh to TCU fans this year than we did last year. With that being said, I am Jacob. We have Barrett and Connor here. And I just Connor, grew out my beard a little bit. Yeah, Connor grew out his beard, moved. So tell us, tell us a little bit about what's happened recently in your life, Connor. Um, well, I, uh, had my tiny house moved from Lubbock back to, uh, Florida and just been hanging out with my girlfriend. Um, my alter ego, Daniel here, um, who I'm presenting as right now, he's, uh, living in Fort Worth right now and just had a baby. Um, and yeah, that's about it. All righty. Daniel, um, I'm sure having a baby has to be hard, but it got to be the best Christmas present you've ever gotten. It's a lot of fun to sit on the couch and watch the Cowboys win games with your son in your arms. So I think he's going to break the curse for us, for the boys. So hoping for a Super Bowl run now. Just added another boy for the boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Besides Cowboys, you catch any of the um, of the New York Six Bulls or college football playoffs? Um. Caught most of them. Um, besides the New York Six Bowls, the rest of those games were kind of boring. I mean, we were watching for mascots mostly, I feel like. Um, but the uh, the Fiesta Bowl definitely had my eye on that, uh, considering TCU was there last year. And that was a huge stinker of a game. Um, I thought, you know, maybe another small Christian school might show up in the Fiesta Bowl, but that did not happen. Um, and then... The uh, CFP games were really entertaining, uh, came down to the wire, um, and I got my wish on both of those, my New Year's wish. I think most TCU fans were at least cheering for Texas to lose, um, so that was great, because um, as far as I'm concerned, they're an SEC school, and uh, so there's no loyalty there. Um, and then I was actually cheering for Bama, or sorry, no, I was cheering for Bama to lose because I just hate the SEC more than anything. So um, I'd rather see a cheater win than see the SEC win. So, Plus, TC already owns Michigan. Um, we handled them last year. Not much more to say on that. So, um, you know, whatever they do now, I don't care because we're that one loss that J.J. McCarthy has under his belt. Yeah, they've posted so many graphics of him being like 27-1. and one. Yeah. Like great, one of the greatest winning percentages ever for a quarterback. First of all, you play in the Big Ten. Your competition's terrible. Chandler Morris could go <laughs> twenty-seven and one in the Big Ten. There's also the added fact that he has cheated his entire career, and so it's pretty easy to go twenty-seven and one comparatively when you have the other team's play calls in your hand before you're making reads of the defense. It's kind of crazy to hear him talking yesterday about how him complaining, like flipping the script that, oh, other teams are stealing our signs. We're not doing that. But like everyone does it but us. And we're always trying to combat it. I'm like, 
I wish there's like a little bit of honesty where Harbaugh or McCarthy would just be like, yeah, yeah, we tried to gain the upper hand and we got caught. Like, I don't know. No one's buying it. So, well, I mean, Connor Stallions was at the Rose Bowl. So I saw one of the Michigan players posted a picture of him after the game. He has a haircut. He's bald now. Oh, so, yeah. Trying to change his look so you can't spot him in photos behind team sidelines. Mm hmm. Honestly, I thought all of the games were kind of disappointing besides like Wisconsin and LSU. That was the only good New Year's Six game, um, yeah. excluding the CFP. But the rest and, of them were blowouts. And, and Toledo, Wyoming, that was a nail biter. I was going to say, we were forgetting the most important bowl game. Us here at the Three Wise Men podcast are Wyoming truthers, and they won a nail biter in the Barstool Sports Bowl against Toledo, 16 to 15. Let's go, Cowboys. Yeah, and in relation to the college football playoffs, both games I just thought were bad football. Like Texas, Washington, less so. Their offenses actually worked. I really liked watching that one. Man, Michigan, Bama was just bad football. It was sloppy. It kind of reminded me of like something out of the early 2000s, 1990s for college football, where both teams just the penalties every other play. Or a fumble every other play, muffed punts, crazy twists and turns. One team just decided not to throw the ball at all. And I can't decide if it was bad football because the teams were both really good or bad football because the teams were both really bad. And I think I'm just going to leave it at that for that game. But I like were plenty of lead changes. It, it was entertaining in that aspect that, like, you didn't really know who was going to win until the very end. And then that muffed punt right at the very end, that was, like, riveting to see that guy go back there and try to corral the ball on, like, the, the two-inch line. Like, he's, like, yeah. right there and then trying to not get tackled for the safety. Um, yeah, because if he got tackled for the safety, that that's game over pretty yeah, much. It would it would actually be better to give up the touchdown there and get the ball back than mm-hmm. to take the safety and let Bama kneel it out. So, yeah, that was that was crazy. Yeah, and the last um, three minutes of the Washington Texas game were just about as crazy. I was uh, watching that, and I think actually Steve Sarkeesian handled the time management just about as perfectly as. He could have. And granted, he got lucky with the injury where Washington yep. just did a dumb. Yeah, that, down there. that really killed them uh, stopping the clock there. And then Sarkeesian's choice to throw the ball uh, with like 10 seconds left to like throw a like ball not to the end zone. That was a little questionable. Um, but they got lucky getting that one second tacked back on kind of. I immediately had flashbacks to their Big 12 championship game against Nebraska like. 12 years ago or something um, where they had one second added back on the clock. I was like, Oh, this is classic Texas. I thought they were going to win it at that point, but glad they uh, glad that Quinn Ewers is not that good of a quarterback. Yeah. It was textbook defense by the DB there. Like you can say it's pass interference all you want. That was perfect defense. Yeah. Washington's a lot of fun to watch. They were there. I haven't sat down and actually watched them play a whole game and uh, until now. And they're just a fun offense. 
they're really fast. I like the way they get the ball out into space and, and let their playmakers make plays. Um, and Penix, I feel like after watching that game, I'm like, how did he not win the Heisman? Um, but yeah, I'm excited to watch them on Monday night, see if they can beat the Wolverines. Yeah, yeah, I think people are underestimate how balanced Washington's offense actually is. Yeah. Their running game is just as good as their passing game, which is scary because their passing game is so incredibly strong. Yeah. One thing Washington doesn't have, though, is a defense. So it'll be interesting to see what happens against Michigan. I, I didn't realize Washington's offensive line was so good. They, they handle Texas's pressure pretty well, and I think Texas and A&M have the two best defensive lines in college football. And yeah. they handled they handled Texas just about as perfectly as you could. I don't think Penix had a sack. Yeah, he, he had all day to throw the entire game. Yeah, and when he didn't, he evaded the pressure perfectly. Yeah. Like that one, I think it was a touchdown throw. Um, he stepped like to the right or something like that and then threw a dart. It'll be a really fun game. I think all TCU fans are cheering for the Huskies. Definitely. But I want to say, I think 2022 TCU with Duggan at the helm would have beaten all four of these teams. Yeah, I I would have loved for TCU to be in this, in this scenario this year, playing Michigan at the Rose Bowl instead of the Fiesta Bowl. That would have been cool. And then beating Michigan and, and getting to face Washington instead of the juggernaut of Georgia, who I believe is definitely still the best team in college football this year, but um, you can't really win. You can't really lose the week before the rankings and, and still make the playoffs. Well, we have lost Barrett, <sighs> but is it something I said, yeah, probably, <laughs> probably you wanting to go to the Rose bowl. I can't believe you'd want to go to that stadium. Like it should definitely be at SoFi. You've got to be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see Stephen A. say that? Yes, I did see that he said that. That's just absolutely crazy. I think, I think modernism is ruining college football. This like, I don't know. This was like the crux of the NIL argument. Even was the like with the Supreme Court, they were saying like these athletes being unpaid amateurs doesn't actually bring value to the game. I disagree with that. I think it's the pageantry of watching bowl games for kids who are actually just representing their school and not representing like the local car dealership. Um, and then having people actually play the whole season, including bowl games and not sitting out. I don't know. I feel like the Rose bowl is like the last bastion of like bowl game tradition. Um, and I'm interested to see how that's going to go down next year with the 12 team playoff, but man, the Rose bowl is the classic. Don't knock the pop tarts bowl now. Hey, that Pop-Tarts mascot is delicious looking. Gone, but not forgotten. Anyways, college football playoffs was fun. Football season is officially over. And we had like two weeks, two and a half weeks with no three Wisemen. So what happened while we were gone, Barrett? Yeah, so women's basketball has played four games since we last did our podcast. With a win against Omaha, 96 to 56, a win against Mount St. Mary's, 87 to 34, and a win against BYU, 81 to 67, and then finally losing at Baylor, 50 to 71. So, a really strong stretch for our women's program. And we've also had a pretty decent stretch for our men's program with the Diamond Head Classic 
tournament that we went to. We ended up beating Old Dominion 111 to 87. Lost to, I think, what I think is a pretty strong Nevada squad, 75 to 88. And then followed that back up with a win at Hawaii in their home stadium, 65 to 51. And then coming back to Fort Worth, beating AM Commerce 77 to 42. So both teams going three and one during the time frame where since we last had our podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to starting Big 12 play, especially for our men's team. I will say we start out with a ridiculously hard three stretch of games yeah. with Kansas, OU, and Houston to start out Big 12 play. That's going to be awful. I watched the uh, women's game against Baylor last night. It was a completely different sport to men's basketball. And I think that's the best way to put it. Um, It's basically you take all of the crazy athleticism out of basketball, not to say that the girls aren't athletic. They're way more athletic than I am and will ever be. But if you take out like all the crazy dunks and stuff, it's very fundamental in its nature. And watching at Baylor, it's a hot take, but I actually enjoyed kind of the view from above because I could see the defensive rotations especially in our zone where people were passing off the people they were guarding, passing well, passing the ball. Well, Um, it was, it was interesting to watch. We kept it close. We were winning by four at halftime and then we decided not to make a shot and uh, Baylor decided not to miss a shot. That's how you lose by 20. Yeah. But, I mean, the TCU women's basketball program is pretty good, in in my opinion, in all honesty, for, like, how we've been playing for this season. Um, To your point on, like, the differences between men and women's basketball, I think the athleticism piece is a really key part of it. I think that women's basketball, like you said, is more fundamental. It's more strategic-focused. I think that a lot of the times women's basketball players are really, really knowledgeable about the game and how to space the floor, how to move on offense, how to pass the ball, get to get to your shot. Whereas men's basketball, a lot of the times like at the college level more so than maybe at the NBA level is I'm going to beat you with my athleticism because I can and not necessarily because it's the right choice, quote unquote. Um, I, there's just different dynamics. I think when you have limited athletic athletic ability to be able to create your own shot off the bounce. Yeah, I think that's that's a perfect way to put it. Very interesting game. I'll probably I'll try and tune in as much as I can overseas just to support the girls. They're having a great season. They were they won one game in the Big Twelve last year. This year, they've already won a game in the Big 12, and they're 14-1. and I don't think losing to the number six team in the country at their place is going to hurt us too badly in the rankings. Yeah, should be a really fun season for them. But moving on to the men's team, Diamond Head Classic was interesting, I thought, to say the least. I didn't think that we actually played well in really any of our games. Um, We scored 111 points against Old Dominion. But that score is really, really inflated by the fact that we went 30 for 38 from the free throw line. The refs decided early that it was going to be the ref show 
and they took over the game. Uh, It's just unfortunate to see the refs just have that big of an impact on the game. Happy we won. We'll take the result, especially because we did go 30 for 38 from the free throw line. That's a stark contrast to what TCU fans have normally seen in the past. But I really wish that the refs had not left such a big mark on the game. Old Dominion couldn't defend us. Like they, they just weren't really allowed to play defense about midway through the second half because the refs would just call a foul on them every single time. I thought this was a really interesting tournament because we had three very different types of games play out. We had, and even with the amount of ref involvement in the Old Dominion game, I thought that it was a overall a really fast-paced game um, as exhibited by the fact that we put up over 110 points and they put up almost 90 even and again some of that is due to the refs stopping play and getting free throws but as a whole the game itself was pretty fast outside of that and then you go to the nevada game which was incredibly slow paced after like the first eight minutes yeah and then you go to the hawaii game and that game was a rock fight because both teams were playing really good defense. Neither one could make a shot. And so it was fast pace, but there weren't a lot of points that were put up. And so I thought I thought it was really fun getting to see TCU playing these three different types of basketball games. Yeah, we got to figure out how to play half-court offense if we want to beat good teams like Nevada. Nevada controlled the pace of the game completely, much to the same way Clemson did. We got off to a really fast start, a really good start, I thought, and Nevada was being kept in the game by one player going off. And if we if we had been able to t- take advantage of a couple more layups that we had made, we would have built a bigger lead in those first eight minutes. Then Nevada switched up their style of play. They made a great on-court adjustment. And from there on out, we couldn't force turnovers. We couldn't get out and run like we wanted to. And that shut down our entire game. And that's why we ended up getting blown out. And if we don't figure something out on the offensive end, we're going to get blown out more and more because the Big 12 is going to keep following these blueprints that teams have set for them. Yeah. Teams like, like Nevada, like Clemson, like Kansas, who we'll talk about later, uh, teams that are slower-paced, highly efficient offenses tend to do really well against TCU because they don't turn the ball over and they score a high percentage of shots. And so we're not able to run in transition and use our athleticism the way we would like to use it. And so to your point, whenever we play a team like that, we either have to force them to play our game, which is easier said than done against a strong team as we've seen, or we have to learn how to play half-court offense or have some semblance of structure on the offensive side. And so far, we haven't been able to do either. No, and I think that game led to the starting lineup change that we saw in the Hawaii game where he replaced um, Nelson and Coles with Anderson and Tennyson. And I think this was a much-needed change. Nelson can come off the bench now and play against kind of – players he's used to playing against he doesn't have to try and do too much and 
Coles is dealing with an injury. Uh, somebody reached out to me on Twitter and said he's dealing with some pretty bad plantar fasciitis. So that's why he did not play against Commerce. Um, hopefully that gets fixed. Plantar fasciitis, really the only thing you can do is let it fix itself. So I'm hoping that that the pain subsides for him because Lord knows that can be painful. Yep. Something that has been from that Hawaii game and it transitioning into like the AM Commerce game, something that I thought was really, really good to see for this TCU team is the emergence of Ernest Uday. We've talked about him a lot, more so in a negative sense on this podcast, in terms of how he needs to be more aggressive on the boards. He needs to like be more focused on his positioning on defense, be a scoring option on offense off the roll. And in the Hawaii game and definitely in the AM Commerce game, he did exactly what we were asking him to do. He went and got boards. He was aggressive. He got some putback points. And he played pretty solid defense for the most part. Um, there's still some holes there. But this is the Ernest Uday that we thought we were going to be getting whenever he transfer, trans, transferred in from Kansas. And I'm hoping that this is the Ernest Uday that we continue to see as we enter Big 12 play and play against these better teams. Yeah, the AM Commerce game was really – encouraging for me particularly because I remember Kevin Samuel and this dude had all the athletic ability in the world. He showed up sometimes, but a lot of times early in the season when he was playing a team that wasn't as good, a la Tamu Commerce, he would kind of disappear, even though he'd be the tallest guy on the court by three or four inches, he wouldn't do anything. So it was really nice to see, Uday kind of assert himself, especially early when he scored like four of our first six points. And then he got a couple blocks early as well and kind of say, hey, this is my game. He was charging after offensive rebounds. Dude had 11 offensive rebounds, 18 total rebounds. Uh, his first double-double, I believe, of his career, definitely of this season. So very encouraging to see that from him. It was an interesting game against Commerce as well because we didn't have um, Coles or Chuck. So we saw something that we've never seen at TCU, really, at least not since 2017 when we had Vlad. And we saw some two big lineups. Um, Uday was never in one of those two big lineups, but occasionally we, we saw Mustafa and Cork on the floor together which was very interesting. Cork took a three. He missed it pretty badly, but <laughs> he took a three. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So It's the thought yeah. that counts. <laughs> and, I mean, in this case, Cork, Cork missed 100% of the threes he did take. So. <laughs> I mean, as a whole, TCU's three-point shooting isn't that great. So Especially from the bigs. Well, from everybody. Um, bigs are non-existent. Yeah. yeah. But it is nice to see that we can play with two bigs if we need to, you know. Um, it'll it be, good it'll be really nice to have against Kansas. Yes, which we will probably need it against Kansas. But speaking about Uday and giving our awards for the past couple weeks, there's nobody we can 
give the golden player to other than Ernest Uday. Had his coming out party against Commerce, played really well against Hawaii. Ultimately, I think he's gotten a little bit better every single game, and then we saw a big jump from Hawaii to Commerce. So Uday goes from our player that we want Murr out of to our golden player in, I believe, three separate uh, three separate episodes. So props to him. He stepped up big time. The Franken sensational player. We've had one player who's kind of been consistent this entire season. He hasn't played poorly, I don't think, in any game. He's played exceptionally in others and just kind of been a nice 16, 18 points from the floor in just about every game, and that is Emmanuel Miller. So he's our Frank, Frank and sensational player for being able to get us our points when we need them. Always just, shows up for the team. He's just so consistent. Yeah. And I think that's really going to play well for him as NBA time rolls around. I think he can find a Kenrich Williams type role, who I saw is shooting 46% from three point line this year. Wild. Yeah. Props to Kenny Hustle, man. That's awesome. He's only, he's playing like 13 minutes a game. So that's down from his recent years. But the Thunder are good, man. Yeah. Barrett, who do we want to see Murr out of? So, Player we want to see more out of, Jameer Nelson Jr. He's lost the starting position to Tennyson and or Anderson, depending on how you look at it. He has looked okay the past few games, but not what he looked like to start out the season. I am anxious to see how he handles being kind of, quote-unquote, demoted to that six-man role. And if he can take that role in stride and make something good out of it and be a productive spark off the bench, like how Avery Anderson has been throughout most of this season. Yeah. Or kind of like how Mike miles was his freshman year. Yeah. I think I will say, I think this Kansas game coming up will be a game where we will need to lean heavily on Jameer Nelson jr. Cause I think he matches up very well against this KU team. Yeah. Speaking of KU, uh, what do you think is going to happen this game, Barrett? This is going to be a tough matchup. Uh, we've got three tough games coming up, like we said, but this one I think is, in my opinion, probably the hardest one for us because of how they play. Um, Jake and I were talking about this before the podcast, but KU is one of the few teams – in college basketball remaining that runs a true one through five. And basically what I mean by that is like, whatever you are taught as a little kid, like what a point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center plays like, that's exactly how this Kansas team is built. They are incredibly fundamentally sound. They don't turn the ball over and they have a big body in the middle who roams the paint, who can step out and make a shot if he needs to. He met Hunter Dickinson matches up incredibly well against our team because we don't have the shooting from our big position to be able to pull him out of the paint. And I think that's going to be really, really difficult for us to be able to deal with him sitting in the paint for an extended period of time and clogging up those driving lanes. Cause like we said, TCU is not an incredibly great shooting team. 
we will need to be against this KU team. Mm-hmm. It's how we beat them last year in Lawrence. Um, Shahada Wells, who's been playing fantastically this season for McNeese, went off for like 17 points. It was his best game of the year for us. And that's the reason we won the games because he, he made threes. Yeah. One other kind of piece here is um, that Kansas has struggled pre- in previous games against fast-paced teams like TCUs, like Marquette, for example. Um, granted, Marquette, I think, has a little more shooting and a little more. They're just a better team. Yeah, they're just a better team than TCU is. But they struggled and forced a lot of turnovers in that game and had Kansas running in transition. For a team that is not incredibly deep, that doesn't really use their bench at all, that is something to note where if we can get them running in transition and get them tired by the end of the game, either they're going to have to dig deep into their bench because they're going to be tired, or hopefully maybe we get them in foul trouble because they're tired and fouling. Yeah. So a couple ways for us to beat this team, but I don't necessarily think it's likely we will. Yeah. Daniel, you got anything? Well, we, we talked about TC's Big 12 schedule starting off pretty rough um, and going to Lawrence is the toughest challenge, but I kind of like the chance that we can uh, – you know, we're not expected to win that game, but to be able to go in there, play them away um, and just get, you know, get that experience for the Big 12. Like, you know, sometimes if it's going to be a loss, it's good to take a tough loss and learn from it uh, to to help with the, the rest of the season. So, I mean, if we can go surprise them again there, um, that'd be amazing. Um, but I think we'll learn a lot from that matchup and then hopefully uh, the rest of our big 12 schedule won't be so rough. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting game, especially at the, the fog or fog um, where Kansas really gets the refs on their side. So we really need to come out, play clean physical, but clean basketball um, run. Kansas is not deep. They have their five starters and then they play three to four bench players, and those bench players play five to eight minutes a game. So their starters are on the court basically the entire time. And if we can get the starters in foul trouble, maybe something magical can happen. But outside of that, I really don't don't think that it's going to go terribly well. I think Kansas is going to dictate the pace of the game. And unless we see shooting that we haven't seen the rest of the year, we're going to be in trouble. On on the defensive side of the ball for TCU, one positive I will say here, Kansas runs a like pass first kind of zoom predicated offense of five out. A lot of times they'll bring Hunter Dickinson out and run the offense through him. Um, However, they do like to get him like kind of duck ins off of off ball screens for like high low passes for the post. But as a whole, their offense passes the ball around very quickly and moves it around quickly. I think that TCU's aggressive style of defense can force turnovers in this offensive scheme because they just move the ball so much. And so that is one thing where if we are up in their grill disrupting these this offensive flow and forcing them to make tough passes, 
maybe we can force more tur- more turn- turnovers than we might initially expect against this team. Yeah, I completely agree. It's more passing without thinking, expecting where the t- where your teammate is going to be. And with Kansas, they're always there. They're smart, fundamental basketball players. We definitely over-pursue on passes. And Nevada and Clemson used that against us. And so maybe, maybe this will go well. We play Kansas tough. We have it every year the past three, four years. So who knows? Anyway. Players to watch out for for Kansas. Who who do who do we need to watch out for, uh, Barrett? Yeah, the biggest one is going to be Kevin McClure. The dude's playing like an All American right now. He's got basically the same build as um, as Micah Peavy. They played together at Texas Tech. He's a six seven guard senior, averaging over twenty points per game, almost seven rebounds, four and a half assists. He is one of the few players in the in the country in my opinion who compares to Micah PB in terms of like overall athleticism size feel for the game he's a phenomenal on-ball defender he's he's turned into a great scorer and is being way more aggressive as a scoring option this year for KU Micah PV will need to have the game of his life against him and it's going to be a really interesting chess match watching him go up against Kevin McCuller they're such similar players in a lot of ways um it it's going to be fun to see kind of who comes out on top of that matchup yeah i think this might turn into like we need pv to play like he played against uh, oshai abaji two years ago at our place where abaji came in scoring like 26 points per game and pv held him to like five or six if we have if he has that kind of game tcu could very well come out on top yeah. The other big guy to keep an eye on is the big guy in the middle, Hunter Dickinson. He's a 7-2 center. He's a transfer from Michigan. We all know him. He's averaging 18.5 points, 12.5 boards, only two assists per game. Um, but he's a will, Yeah, but he's a center. But, like, they do run the offense through him a lot. So And he's a pretty solid passer out of the post for how big of a guy he is. So I, I think that like the two assists per game is maybe a little low compared to how they use him and like how good of a passer he actually is. Um, he's phenomenal on the low block. He can also step out and make a three-pointer mid-range every now and then. Uh, he's, he's a do-it-all big. He is not incre- incredibly good in on-ball coverage or having cover out on the wing. And so if we can put him in positions where our guards can use their speed to get by him, that is some way that we can kind of work those mismatches against him on the offensive side. If Kansas is allowed to sit him on, say, Ernest Uday or Osama Mustafa, some guy who is not an offensive threat who can't take him out of the paint and just sit there and drop coverage, roaming the paint, clogging up driving lanes – it's not going to be a fun day for TCU. Yeah, and with TCU switch it all on defense, there's I, a very decent chance that, like, Tennyson ends up on Dickinson for a majority of the game. <laughs> I highly, highly doubt we switch on on um, Hunter Dickinson unless it's, like, Micah PV or Emmanuel Miller. I don't I think, think any of our guards will switch on him just for the sheer fact that they don't have the size to guard him. 
Well, we've never not switched before. So I will be happy if you are correct, Barrett. But like you were saying, Dickinson shooting over 50% from three-point range this season. He's having a phenomenal shooting season. He's taken almost 13 shots a game. He's shooting 60% overall. That's a really good season for him. He's not a professional basketball player. He'll never really make it in the NBA. His style doesn't really fit. He's almost too big, and he's not quick enough. But as for college ball, college ball is a big man's game. Everybody knows it. So he, he's playing really well uh, for Kansas, but he's not the only big that we need to watch out for. I mentioned before how Kansas has no depth. That's kind of been a problem for Kansas the past couple of years. They haven't had much depth, but there's always one player who gives TCU in particular trouble every time we play Kansas. We come out and defend their bigs who start really well. And then Kansas always throws out this 6'10", 6'11", scrawny white guy who just has the game of his life against us every year and does nothing the rest of the year. This year, that's Parker Brown. He's a 6'10 senior. He's been with the team for one year. He's a transfer this year. And he's only averaging 3.3 points per game, 1.8 rebounds, and 0.4 assists. His stats aren't overwhelming. He doesn't play a lot. But listen, if I've learned anything from watching TCU in Kansas the past six years, he's going to have the game of his life. He's averaging 25% from three-point shooting. He's a 50% free throw shooter. He is shooting 77% overall on two shots a game. But I'm predicting right now that he scores 10 to 12 points, makes two threes, and shoots 80% from the line. If he takes five five free throws, I mean – he might only take three free throws, but he, he'll make the majority of his free throw attempts if he gets to the line. I, I, I It's just going to happen. It's inevitable. He's Mitch Lightfoot 2.0. Yeah. What he's going to end up being. Mitch Lightfoot. Uh, fun, fun fact, his younger brother, actually, Christian Brown, used to play for Kansas as well, also lit TCU up last year. Now plays for, I think, the Nuggets. Yeah, uh, he's having a good year. But, but yeah, so at, like you said, there's always some scrawny white guy that lights us up. Yeah. I hope yeah. it's he's not a, this year. He's but. a Kansas boy through and through, and he is, uh, he's happy to just be on the team. But I feel like we're going to give him the chance to put up like 15 points. And it's going to happen. Like, His most all season was 10. And uh, he's never taken more than two free throws. But watch us give him like, put him, send him to the line like three times. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just. He is inevitable. Yeah. (laughs) Against TCU, a scrawny white guy going off who you wouldn't expect to go off is inevitable. We saw it last year with um, that Texas guy. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, But really, I guess with this game, it's just for this Big 12 season. For the basketball team, it's time to nut up or shut up. So this is the real season starts starts yep. on saturday if we can go one one for two one and two in these next three games i will be ecstatic i would love to go two and one just because two of the games are at home and that's important but 
one and two against the number one, number three, and number 11 teams in the country. You can't really complain about that. Getting one win would be important. Yeah. We need to get one. Hope we get two. Yeah. We're probably not going to get three. No. And as for the quadrant tracker, just to run through it really quickly, nothing has really changed. Um, our conference play, the Big 12 in the net rankings, has the number one team and the number two team. The number two team is actually BYU. And then Iowa State is number eight, and Kansas is 11. We play Iowa State twice, but out of the top four teams in the net rankings, that's the only one we play twice. So maybe a little bit of a favor from the schedule makers. We need, we just really need to take advantage of, of the, 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 I would like to say the lower ranked teams that we play and they are, I guess, but even the low ranked teams, I think this pick 12 has like 11 of their 14 teams in the top 67 teams in Ken Palm. Yeah. So, yeah. Our, our strength of schedule for the remainder of the year is like number six in the nation or something, just because we play in the big 12. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw this yesterday out of the top 14 strongest strength of schedules left. 14 teams are in the big 12. Every single Big 12 team has the hardest remaining strength of schedule up from 1 to 14 in the country for the rest of the year. That's insane. insane. That's what happens when you have both the number two and three teams. Yeah. And plenty of other talent throughout. This new Big 12 uh, schedule is just weird having the the new teams uh, and not that normal pattern of playing every team twice. Um, yeah, I kind of am kind of interesting that. There's some like you'll get lucky some years where you'll you'll play a weaker team twice versus having to play you know Kansas twice or a la Oklahoma State in football. Yeah, your third worst team in the conference is still a pretty decent team with Jalen Sellers in yeah. UCF. The guy's yeah. averaging 18 and a half points per game. Yeah, and actually our game against UCF. They're playing really well right now. It's moved up to be a quadrant two win rather yep. than quadrant three. No, Jalen Sellers is balling out. <laughs> yeah. He's a yeah. good player. But other than that, anything anything left to add? I got nothing. Go Frogs. Yeah. Go Frogs. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at TCU's Three Wise Men. We'll be back on Monday. So go Frogs. Go Frogs.